Welcome to Not The Way I Planned. I'm Carly Cash, and if you've ever found yourself thinking, this is not the way I thought my life would turn out, you've come to the right place. Each week we'll have inspiring interviews, plus tips and tricks to living your best life, even if it's not the life you planned. My guest today is Melinda Nelson, and Melinda has undergone a five organ transplant, which just that coming out of my mouth, my brain goes, how is that even possible? So thank you so much for being on the show today, Melinda. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited to be here and I love sharing my story and hopefully it inspires a few people along the way. And So you were born with what is called, it's, I don't even think I can pronounce it. Um, I was born with a digestive disease called pseudo-obstruction syndrome. And it's a rare disorder where um, when you eat, your stomach's not able to really digest your food. Um, my intestines weren't really able to absorb the nutrients out. And then um, I would get random bowel obstructions. So I spent um, many years in hospitals, had many surgeries, um, many like bowel resections where they kind of put you, cut cut a piece out and put you back together. Yeah. Um, that was your childhood then. Yes. I, I hung out Seattle, Phoenix, Boise, Salt Lake, a lot of children's hospitals. And you were fed through a tube then? Is it, is it right? You couldn't actually eat normal food. Exactly. Um, when I would eat, the food would kind of just get stuck and not really processed through. So how they um, kind of figured this out by chance, when I was a kid, I was losing weight and I looked like a little Ethiopian, very malnourished. Um, I had very skinny arms and legs and my ribs poked out. And the doctors um, at age three, they told my parents, hey, we've got to do something. We have this experimental treatment. What we're going to do is we're going to put a, a port or a line in, in my chest, similar to like ports that cancer patients have. Yeah. So pretty much it was a permanent IV. And then my nutrients were all IV solution and they'd go right into the bloodstream and um, the treatment's called TPN which stands for total parental nutrition because it was as if um, you know when you're pregnant and your your child's in the womb the baby is getting fed through the umbilical cord and through yeah. the bloodstream so that baby's digestive system is not having to do any work and that was kind of the same idea wow okay so what was it like, you know, growing up, being a teenager, and you're not, food is such a social piece. Yeah. So what was that like for you? My mom, I have um, five siblings, and I am so grateful for my parents. They raised me, you are just like your brothers and sisters. Yeah. You, when you, you know, when I was naughty, they got after me. I had chores. Um, they encouraged me to, you know, to go out and be social, go to school, have friends. But um, eating was kind of difficult. And I had some really good girlfriends. I would eat little bits just socially, but not really gaining any nutritional value. So you could actually eat, but it ju just a little bit. And, and I could eat. I shouldn't so eat. But I, I technically I could, but I would kind of pay for that later I wasn't yeah. I wasn't one of those smart kids that's like hey I'm not gonna do this because I'm gonna pay for the after effects later I would just <laughs> oh I want to eat I want to be like everyone else of course I'll just go ahead and get a stomach ache or get nauseous or 
um, I'll just pay for it later. And especially, you know, being a teenage girl, you you don't want to be different. You want to be like everyone else. For and sure. So I would just eat very minimal amounts or um, kind of pick and choose, but but not really eat a whole lot. And really, I did always pay for it later. I wasn't yeah. getting any nutritional value. It just kind of sat in my stomach and caused grief. Yeah. And I would imagine dating brought on some similar challenges. Yes. I um, I was pretty shy in high school. And um, I grew up, my parents had a rule I couldn't date till I was 16. Um, and my junior and senior year, I actually got pretty sick and had to go like homeschool. So mm-hmm. I had a teacher come into the home and, um, so I didn't really date a whole lot in high school. I'd go to a dance here or there. But as far as like dating um, in college and when I met my husband, I, I knew, okay, this isn't something I'm going to break out on the first date. Yeah. Um, so I I would date people. And, and if things progressed and, and, you know, things were getting serious, obviously this is a big part of my life and it would be a big part of their life being married to me. Um, something I did look for, um, when I met my husband, he had this nasty scar on his wrist uh-huh. and nasty little scars on his his head. Um, his, while he was in high school, he had gotten a car accident. He had fallen asleep at the, ri- the wheel, rolled his car, had to be in a halo, had to have wrist surgery, neck surgery. And... I said, you know, I really like you because you have scars and you're real. Yeah. You're real. And he has and a story. that helped me feel comfortable to share my story. And hey, I'm not just, you know, some guys are shallow and they're looking for that Barbie doll. And I was not that Barbie doll. And it came yeah. with came with my own story. And so um I think luckily I kinda had a wise head on my shoulders, even though I was a college student. Steered away from, you know, the players and the guys that are just looking for shallow hookups or Barbie dolls. Exactly. And you found the right guy. I did. I've been married 19 years and he is a trooper. He's, I could not have gone through half of my, you know, medical surgeries or, or the five organ transplant without his support. I mean, he was dad, um, provider, mom. I had to actually... Um, I have three children, and and when I knew I needed this transplant, um, I had to go to Indianapolis, Indiana. And one of the conditions was, in order to be listed, I had to live within four hours of the medical center. Okay. So I had to leave my three children, and at the time, my son was in fifth grade, and then my two daughters, I had a first grader and a kindergartner. So very busy stages of motherhood. And kind of a bonus, um, my kindergartner, she was born with this same disease. So my husband, (sighs) while I was gone, not only was he mom, dad, breadwinner, he's also the nurse because my daughter gets the IV infusions and the tube feeds, and that's how she lives right now. She has not been transplanted. Mm-hmm. So she's a, a special needs kiddo and a little bit more work than the average kid. Yeah. So my husband, my family thinks he's a saint. I don't know if that's for putting up with all the medical or just for putting up with me. <laughs> well, I think you're a saint in your own right because 
just the challenge of being away from your kids. I can relate to just a small degree. I, I had to go to Austin, Texas, and I had a full spinal fusion. Oh and, my goodness. And I was away from my kids for about a month. And it's so hard. You know, your journey was even longer, but trying to be mom and stay connected with them and knowing that you have to reach out to the community around you to just get things done, get kids picked up from school because yes. uh, my husband at the time was was working full time and trying to do it all. And it really taught me that that I needed that village to get through that period of time. That is so true. That is something when people ask, how did you do that? I said, I, I did not do that. It takes a village. And I had lots of support. I had friends and family. I had people watching my children while my husband worked. I yeah. had uh, the the young boys in our ward would come and mow the lawn because just things like yard work, that's just the very last thing to get to. And um, so you can relate, you know, when you are away from your kids, it's so hard. I don't know if the five organ transplant and the actual surgery was harder or leaving my kids. Yes, that emotional. Especially I, they were little and they didn't quite understand the gravity of mom's going and I knew I couldn't be scared and I couldn't break down in front of them. Exactly. And But in the back of my mind, I always did have the little thought, what if things go terribly wrong? And yeah. what if this is the last time I get to, you know, hug my sweet babies or see them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Very scary moments. Yeah. So you go to Indianapolis, not even knowing yet that you're going to have the transplant. You're just waiting. Exactly. I Luckily, I had an aunt. Like you said, it takes a village. I had an aunt that lived um, just across the border in Kentucky. And so she said, you know, she actually called me and said, honey, I wish I wish there was something we could do to help you with this. And I said, actually, my doctors just told me I have to live here um, before they'll list me. And so I have to live here and wait. And I said, I don't know how long I'll need to live here I pretty much said hey do you want a roommate can I come and crash and live with my aunt and uncle and they're just the sweetest they're my my mother's sister and and brother-in-law and they're an older couple and just just grandma and grandpa type and just so sweet and sure you come on in Mm -hmm. you know rolled out I guess not the red carpet but the southern hospitality and I didn't know how long I'd be there I didn't pay rent I didn't pay bills I just lived there and I was sick so I wasn't really the most helpful house guest right um luckily I was so blessed I moved there July 17th of 2015 and my aunt would take me every week to all my medical appointments I had to do lab tests every week um you couldn't get sick if I were to get a cold that could throw off the whole surgery right she um was by my side on the life flight. She was by my side when I got I got a phone call. I actually had three, I call them kind of two dress rehearsals. And then the third time um, I would get called and they would the hospitals would say, okay, we have organs, jump on the life flight and we'll meet you at the hospital. So while I'm flying to Indianapolis, the surgeons were flying to get my organs. Yes. And the first two times um, I flew out there, and the surgeons are flying to retrieve the organs, but then a call would come in and say, hey, you know what, she needs a stomach and a liver and a pancreas 
and a small intestine and a large intestine, but the pancreas is not viable. So the surgery was off. Because you had to have all five and they had to come from one donor, essentially? Yes, one donor. Okay. Um, and all five organs had to be in uh, very, they called it pristine. They kind of have grades or quality levels. Okay. Um, there were other factors such as um, the organs, there could be no cancer, there could be no AIDS, there could be no hepatitis, like on the liver, or um, maybe alcoholism, so no damage to the liver. The organs, we had to match, me and my donor had to match blood type, and then also um, the organs, there, the donor could not have been like in a car accident where there would have been impact. Okay, yeah, abdominal that makes sense. Region. Yep. And then something I didn't know, but I learned, we actually had to match kind of similar weight and body size. Wow. So that once the surgeons put the new organs in my body, they could kind of close the incisions and... And it all fit. Yeah, it all fit. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. I'm not getting too uh, graphic here. No, but that makes sense. And there are things that you don't even think about when you hear organ transplant. Yeah. So when the physicians were saying, okay, you have to match blood type, can't have cancer, can't have AIDS, can't have hepatitis, and you have to be body size and this and this. And I'm just thinking, okay, getting five organs is a challenge in itself. And I just saw my, all the qualifications and the, I guess, prerequisites were narrowing down my odds smaller and smaller. Yes. Yeah. So... But I was blessed. I received my call. So I got listed July 17th, and I received my call September 24th. Oh, so wow. I did not wait long at all. I Some people will wait and will end up passing away because they're waiting so long. Like kidney transplants, those people can wait over two years yeah, or, did, or longer. Did they give you a length of time? Like, we really need to get this done within this time frame. Yes, it's kind of a very gray area. You have to be sick enough to qualify for a transplant and to be listed and to move up the list quickly. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that there's a gray area because you can't be too sick that it was a 12-hour surgery. You cannot be too sick that you won't survive the yeah, surgery. That that's you're too intense, weak. yes. By the time I got organs, I was about 90 pounds. And I'm five wow. foot six. Yeah. I was completely yellow because my liver um, had shut down and was failing. We learned after years of being on the IV nutrition that fed me and saved my life, it had a nasty side effect. It damages your liver. Oh, no. So um, my liver, I had to get a new liver because it had been destroyed. Even though this nutrition was saving my life, it was also There was a consequence. Havoc. Yes. And then um, I had to get new intestines just because of so many surgeries growing up. And eventually I just kind of ran out of feet. Yeah. And so you finally get that call and you have a donor that's a match. Yes. What did that feel like? I remember getting that call and just crying. And how, how it works is when you are listed, they will call you and... You have 10 minutes to make a decision oh. and you need to call them back. And if you don't call back, they move down the line. And I remember I had a cell phone that I kept. It was my lifeline. Sure. And I kept with me. And the night that I, I had 
two dress rehearsals. So I guess two prior calls. Um, And each time, the first call, they said, we have organs. They're mid-range quality. But I, I remember saying, okay, let me think about this, and hanging up the phone and just crying and thinking, okay, they're mid-range, so they're not the best, they're not the worst. If I don't take these, am I going to get a call again? Yes. I, I can't risk this. And I was just a mess. So I, I called them back and said, yes, yes, I will take them. So we went to the hospital and jumped on the life flight, went to the hospital, and um, like I said, the pancreas wasn't in good enough condition. Okay. Same thing happened round two. I got a call and... That time, I they said, hey, we have organs. I didn't let them finish. I just said, yes, I will take them. Jumped on a life flight, <laughs> went to the hospital. When I went to the hospital, I found out these organs were the lowest grade. And actually, oh. I had to sign. A physician came by and said, look, these organs, they're in pretty bad shape. We would like you to sign a waiver Um that you know that these organs are not top grade and that you're okay taking them and going through with the surgery. And that really scared me. And then 10 minutes later, another, a different physician came by and said, now you've signed the waiver. Now they've explained to you the quality of these organs. (sighs) And I remember just looking at um, my aunt and just thinking, oh my goodness, I didn't realize the the quality, but then at the same time, I'm like, beggars can't be choosers. Right. Will I get What's a call the right again? decision? And I remember just praying to God and saying, okay, God, if this isn't supposed to happen, you've got to stop this because I am in the in the hospital in a gown and signing waivers. So if this is if these are not meant for me, please intervene. And God did intervene. Um, the nurse called a few minutes later, the, the physicians that had gone to harvest or retrieve the organs from the donor called and said, look, we can't use these. There's too many problems. And so I kind of took that as a sign. Yep. Okay, these were not meant for me. For sure. So my third and actual call, uh, when they called, I remember the woman on the phone asked, hey, Melinda, this is, you know, the the Indianapolis hospital and we have organs and they are in pristine condition. Pristine is the highest level. That means perfect that is what I had been praying for, and I couldn't even let her finish. I said, yes, yes, these are it. Yes. <laughs> so the third time, the pristine organs, the third time was the charm. So so you underwent this 12-hour surgery. Yes. And what was your recovery like? The recovery was quite, I guess, I'll be honest, it was quite an ordeal. Yeah, I would I, think so. I remember um, when I woke up, well, how it works is when they put the organs in your body, um, the liver actually swells. So what they will do is they will they will close you, but not quite completely. So what you have to do is within the next 12 to 24 hours, sometimes 48 hours, you have to go back into the OR and they'll check the liver and make sure the liver has reduced um, in size and is not swollen anymore. And then they will completely close you up. So they... So you go into the OR and they keep you sedated and intubated during that one to two day period. So I went into the OR and I remember I got called, went to the hospital, got the organs. It was a go. And I remember um, 
calling my husband because he was back in Boise. Yeah. And I said, okay, this is it. This is the third time. These are good. This is for real. Um, jump on the quickest flight and, and get here. And I said, you know, I love you and I will see you when I wake up. And then it was the middle of the night. And so I had him um, go wake up each of my three kids because I, I needed to talk to them. Sure. And because very scary moments right there. Very scary. Yeah. And they were very little. And I thought, I just want to tell them I love them and tell them I'm so lucky to be their mom because I don't know if this mom's going to be there for graduations or weddings. And so I remember kind of having to, I had to kind of mentally tell myself, okay, Melinda, pull it together. Because if you break down, these little kiddos are going to hear mommy crying and they'll they're be gonna fearful. Pick up on the fear. Yeah. So as bravely as I could, and I don't think I did a very good acting job, but just told them, you know, I love them and how lucky I was to be their mom and that I was, you know, getting my organs and mommy was going to get better and get home as soon as I could. And I, I think in a way it was kind of a blessing that they were little because they didn't really understand the gravity of what an organ transplant really means. Sure, yes. So I... Told them I loved them, and then after I got off the phone, the nurse wheeled me to the OR. And I remember um, as the kind of stainless steel doors opened, mm -hmm. and I just see this room, and I see mm -hmm. equipment everywhere. And I see about six or eight nurses and technicians and people standing around. And the nurse wheeled me about maybe two feet from the, the operating table. And she, you know, pulls the white, scratchy, starched hospital blanket off yeah. her lap. And she says, okay, Melinda, um, get up and walk over to the table and lie down. And I remember just thinking, I don't know if I can do this. My knees were jello. I thought, I, I don't know if I can walk to the table. I mean, simple instructions, but yet the hardest instructions that, I've ever had to follow in my yeah, life because you're taking this huge risk. You just don't know exactly what the outcome is going to be. So I thought to myself, <clears throat> I gathered my thoughts and I thought, okay, I can't keep thinking doomsday and think, okay, these are the final footsteps I'm taking on this earth. I had to get my mind straight and okay, no, these are the first footsteps I'm taking on a new journey, and just wheel my like sheer will yeah. to get up, to stand up, and to just walk those two steps yeah. and, and lie down on the table. Take a lot of faith, a lot of trust in God and in your surgeons yes. and, and everybody involved that things were going to be okay. Yes, definitely lots of faith and trust in God. And even once I um, sat, I kind of sat on the table and before I, I um, lied down, I looked at the nurses and the doctors, and I said, okay, I am a Christian and a God-fearing woman, and this is going to go down one of two ways. <laughs> Either one, this is going to go amazingly well, and I need to be so thankful to God for the blessing he's about to give me. Or two, things are going to go terribly wrong, and I'm about to meet my maker. And I said, um, I want to be politically correct, but at the same time, whether you believe in God, whether you believe in 
the great spirit or master of the universe or don't believe at all. I said, I am not in any means knocking your medical skills and your expertise. I said, but I'm going to pray right now. Yeah. And they were all very respectful. They just stood there quietly and I kind of said my quick little prayer to God and okay, I'm ready to go. And went ahead and lied down and said, okay, let's do this. That's really cool. I've really felt just through my own medical journey, it was um, just really clear to me how being a Christian too, that God still works miracles in these modern days. I've been, I was so amazed at these skilled surgeons' hands and their knowledge and what they were able to do. It's just amazing that we can do what we can medically in this day and age. It's miraculous. Every day, everyday miracles. And I think it's kind of sad in life that we get too busy and too caught up looking at our cell phones and we're not looking around. I talk to my kids. I say, you know, there are major miracles and many miracles. Yes. Getting five organs obviously is a major miracle. You know, finding a donor, major miracle. But just in my journey getting there, I had checked out some other hospitals. I had gone to Seattle and checked out a transplant hospital there. And I remember it took me months to get in front of those doctors. And when we went there, they said, you know what? You would be our first transplant patient. And then anytime I would ask them a question, well, we don't know. We've never done this before. Well, we don't really have a protocol for that. We're just kind of winging it. Yeah. And when I came back home, my amazing, amazing surgeon here, he said, no, you do not. You are not the first guinea pig. This is too big of a surgery. You do not be the first person for them to learn on. Absolutely. Like, this is like going to the Super Bowl and the team hasn't ever played football. You don't want to do that. No. So back to kind of my major and many miracles. My husband, he's a BYU alumni and he loves to get on the, the Cougar fan page and the yeah. sports page. And he was kind of depressed that day. And he had just put a little blurb online that said, hey, my wife and I, we just got back from Seattle and we just didn't find the answers we were looking for. And she's needing a, a five organ transplant. We just, you know, we're just kind of a little bit disappointed and sad and not really sure what to do next. Yeah. And some gentleman, I've never met this man and I would love to. He's a rancher in Wyoming. This is all I know. He got online and said, hey, my brother-in-law is the director of multivisceral surgery in Indianapolis, Indiana. Let me call him. Let me get your number. I'll get him on the phone and you can talk to him today. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And that's what connected you to the right surgeon. The right right surgeon. That is. I believe had I gone anywhere else, I would not have had the positive outcome that I had. I would have not got organs as quickly as I did. Right. And this surgeon in Indiana is just amazing. And he, he did. He called my husband. They spoke for an hour. This surgeon had answers for questions and protocols. Um, and my husband even kind of said, you know, well, my wife has a really rare disease. Have you even heard of this? And he said, actually, we've transplanted two patients with that disease. Wow. And he said, I'll be honest. Um it went 50-50. One patient did really well, and one patient didn't do so well. But he said, yeah, I've transplanted two, which that was just was unheard shocker. of. Yeah. So, I mean, just that little five minutes of this rancher in Wyoming 
took time to type online and then connect a phone number to a stranger totally. was a major miracle yeah. in my life. Changed your whole life. Yes. Wow. Yes. So yes, miracles happen every day. Yeah. I I, I know without a doubt God's hand is in our lives. Yeah. Every it just day. looks different in modern days than it did back then. But yes, definitely. You don't have to build an ark and face a flood. Exactly. Yeah. And I think we still all have our our hard things or impossible goals. I mean, I'm sure Noah, when God told him, you're going to build an ark and I'm going to flood the earth. It's kind of a hard thing. Big project, impossible goal. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. And ours just looks different today. Yes. So you get through and there's always the risk of rejection, right? When you have an organ transplant. Yes, there's rejection. Um, So I got through the, the surgery um, I had to stay about 10 days in the ICU and then followed wow. by another five weeks on an actual transplant unit in the hospital. And um, I remember waking up, I counted, I had 57 stainless steel staples from sternum down to belly button. Yeah. And then I had another row um, going horizontally where they had placed the liver so I kind of have a giant um, cross on my abdomen. <laughs> That's my scar. That's my battle wound. Yes, it's yes. My, it's my scars of glory. Absolutely. And so the recovery time, it was very painful. And I remember the first day the physical therapist came in my room. It was about three or four days after surgery. And I had all kinds of IV lines. I had two coming out of the port on my chest. I had They had put... Another one in my neck. I had two coming out of like a jugular IV in my neck. Mm-hmm. I had one out of each wrist. My husband was counting IV pumps. I had eight pumps. And I think he counted 17 or 18 IV bags. And he wow. He thought it was hilarious and took a picture and Ugh. put it on Facebook because we lost count of all the, the web and mess of IV lines. And I remember them saying, okay, Melinda, today you are going to get out of bed and walk. And I thought, are you crazy? Can you see me? There's no way. No way. And then also, I had the little uh, voice in my mind saying, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt really bad. Because after surgery, even just like coughing or laughing, you don't realize how much you use your abdominal muscles for any movement, especially walking. Yeah. So they said, nope, we're going to get out of bed and walk. So they kind of showed me how to you know, roll to your side and lean forward and they gradually raise the head of my bed. And I remember them saying, okay, just four little steps, just walk to the chair. And I thought, you know what? I I pictured a little image of my kids at home and I thought, (laughs) you know what? I want to go home. I want to get better. I want to get out of here as fast as I can. And I knew walking in those first steps those were the first steps in healing. And yeah, the more I could walk, the more I could push, the sooner I would get home. And so I remember saying, no, I, I can do more. And I walked past that chair and right to the open doorway of my hospital room. And granted, it was only maybe 10 or 12 steps, but still they were like, great progress, you know. So I think, you know how you're saying when it's so hard to leave your babies behind when you have a medical crisis, but at the same time, those little babies were the best motivation yes. for me yes. to just get my butt out of bed and push through the pain because I knew, okay, I've got 
three little babies at home that need their mama. Yeah. So the more I fight, the quicker I'm getting home to them. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot of hospital recovery time. And then I guess I'm taking the long road to answer your question. Yes. Rejection is a very big risk. And so um, I was required, even though I was out of the hospital, I had to live in the city of Indianapolis for, I lived there, let's see, my transplant was September 24th. And then I actually got discharged from the hospital um, November 1st. Okay. From November 1st, 2015 to February 1st of 2016, I had to rent a little apartment. I had to stay in the city. Um, Those first months after um, transplant, even though you're outpatient, you're back and forth to the hospital three times a week, seeing the doctors, getting labs, getting... Um, IV infusions. They give you certain antibiotics so many days and so many weeks after. And um, they had all kinds of, like I said, great protocol and systems in place to prevent rejection. But that that always is is a it's, fear that could happen. Yeah, yeah. So as you're talking about living in that little apartment, and I'm assuming your husband couldn't be with you most of no. that time that had to have been very lonely at the same time actually um it like you were saying it takes a village and you always have support to get through your hard trials in life and one of the other requirements of transplant was um i had to have a roommate so i had to have like a caregiver okay i couldn't drive couldn't do laundry couldn't grocery shop i couldn't even lift like a gallon of milk um, right when i first got out of the hospital so I have amazing um, siblings. I have amazing sister-in-laws. I have amazing women that I go to church with. And every two weeks, we would rotate out and fly oh out a roommate. And that roommate pretty much was my nurse, my babysitter. Yeah. Um, and then I had a niece that pretty much put her college on hold. Not dropped out that semester, but she... Um, took a break that semester, and she actually came out and did several weeks and spent the majority of the time. And she was sweet. She had to learn how, when I first got out of the hospital, she had to learn how to give me injections. Um, like I had to get shots in my hip for a few <laughs> weeks. She had to learn how to set up. Um, I wasn't gaining weight fast enough, so they wanted me to do some supplemental, like they put a little tube into my just to my new stomach to just put weight on me. Right. Um, so she learned, she became nurse, roommate, chauffeur, yeah. you name it. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you had so many great people in your life that rallied around you. I mean, I yeah. I don't know how you could have gotten through it any other way. So No, no. And they won't, They the, the doctors, they told me when I went out initially and was checking into what was involved in the process, they won't transplant people. They said, you have to have support. You will not be able to get through this on your own. So we won't transplant you if you do not have a support network. Gosh, it makes me think of people that that possibly don't have that, you know? Yeah. I'm sure that exists. And so yeah, I'm so grateful that you had that. I am too. It, it was definitely a blessing, not just physically to care for me, but emotionally. Somebody for sure. was there to kind of be my cheerleader. Yeah, absolutely. So you finally make your way back home and you yes. got to transition back into being mom yes. again. Yes. I remember um, I wanted to surprise my kids and not tell them I was coming home. 
So we would tell them, you know, mom's getting better. It's getting close. Because they'd always ask, when's mom coming home? When's mommy coming home? Sure. So we kind of kept the date a secret. And I had an amazing, my best friend, she flew out the last kind of two-week rotation to take care of me. She helped me pack up the stuff that I had accrued in my apartment. And we flew home together. And I remember um, I knocked on my front door. It was about 8 o'clock at night. And my teenager, my son, I guess preteen, he was about 12, he just kind of, you know, in his uh, his proper etiquette not, Mm -hmm. comes to the door, kind of unlocks the door and just walks off. Doesn't even look who it is. What? Kind (laughs) of opens the door and just flies open. Yeah, and I said, said, hello, anyone home? And I heard my two little girls squeal and say, Mm. what, mommy? And they came (laughs) running around the corner, mommy's home. And then my son, it was priceless. He he had kind of opened the door and was just walking off, you know, to go watch TV. Did a 360 and his face just dropped. He's like, mom? (laughs) So it was great. It was a fun surprise and... Yeah, I was so happy, happy to be home, happy to kind of be at the end of one journey. And then you're right, it was transition and I'd be starting a new journey, just trying to figure out how to kind of, okay, I'm mom, but I'm still not 100% health wise. Yeah. But I got to kind of reintegrate and pick up, pick up and where my husband, he had done an amazing job while I was gone, but... I'm sure he was ready. He needed to, to get back home. to his normal routine. Yes. Yeah. So along with this, you have the opportunity to actually eat food. For It's crazy. Now, you know, now I can eat food. I don't get stomach aches. It, everything works as it should. And people, I guess that's kind of strange to people. It's like, okay, you can't really eat your whole life. And then what is it like? And it kind of is a new thing. And um Sometimes um, I'll go out with friends and I'll, you know, get a milkshake or a big piece of pie and, and they'll just look at me like, are you crazy? I'm like, no, I am, I am putting these, this whole new GI system um, to use. You yes, know? yes. <laughs> I remember my doctors um, kind of joked and made fun of me in Indianapolis. My first meal was Taco Bell. I know that's Taco really Bell, scary. that's what you chose. <laughs> yeah, that is Taco funny. Taco Bell. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. So your daughter, she's 10 years old, is that correct? Yes, I have um, three children. So my son, he's now 15, and then I have an 11-year-old daughter and then a 10-year-old daughter. And is, is it your 10-year-old daughter, Hannah, that has yes, the that same has disorder? Okay. Yes, we kind of, um, kind of just like the topic of your show, it's not really how you planned your life. I always wanted to be a mom, and um, just with my health problems, they said, well, you're not going to be able to have children. So we adopted my son, and then we adopted my 11-year-old. And when she was nine months old, I had gone into the hospital for some other exam and found out I was two months pregnant. Wow. So, yes, I have I, I uh, have two kiddos. Um, we adopted, and then the third one was a surprise little miracle baby. Yeah. And so. did you know that there was significant risk that she could have the same disorder? We 
didn't at the time because my parents and none of my siblings or grandparents, no one in my family has this disease. So they always told me, oh, this was just a weird fluke. We don't know what happened. But then um, when I was pregnant, they were watching me really close. It was very high risk pregnancy. And yeah, um, when Hannah was in utero, in utero we... Um, found out, okay, she's coming with some medical problems. She In utero, they could see her little abdomen was distended. So we kind of knew, okay, something's up. And then when she was born, um, she came at 30 weeks. So she was a preemie, seven was, months long. Yes, very premature. And right from the get-go, when she was born, we knew, okay, something's not right. And they brought in doctors and specialists and genetic a geneticist came from Portland, from the Children's Hospital in Portland, and they said, you know what? We actually think this disease is not a fluke. It's genetic, and we think this baby has this. Yeah. So at least you kind of had the roadmap of what yes. to do with this. It's and at the same time, very scary. Very scary. I kind of feel like um, my poor parents, they had this sick child, didn't know what the disease was or how to take care of her. So at least I had those two things going for me. We yeah. knew what the disease was. We knew kind of what the future was going to look like. In, yeah, look like. And we knew how to take care of her. And I think, yes, it is hard having a special needs child and seeing them go through all the tests or surgeries. And, you know, as a mom, you know, you would trade places with your kid in a minute. Absolutely. But then at the same time, I thought, I am so grateful. We know this is, you know, it's not terminal. It's It does impact our life and her life quite a bit. I couldn't even be imagine being my mom where they didn't know what was wrong. They didn't have answers. They didn't know if I'd survive. They yeah. didn't even know how to treat the disease. Exactly. Just the not knowing would be such a, a mental and emotional hurdle. And do you know with this disease, inevitably, she's going to have to have these same transplants or do you not know for sure? She, um, so she's on the same IV infusion because she has not been transplanted. So her, her stomach and intestines, same as mine. Yeah. Do not digest. And it's kind of, kind of funny, um, the physician that's taken care of me since I was 13 years old now is her physician. Wow. And he was there right there when she was oh. born. Um, and so he's kind of seen what works. I guess I've been the, the experiment, what works, what doesn't work. And so um, on her, we're doing a little more conservative as far as like surgeries. So she doesn't reach a point like I do where I did where it's like, okay, we've done so many bowel resection surgeries, you're out of intestine, now exactly. what? Exactly. Um, they're very conservative on, even though we have to give her that same IV nutrition, it's called TPN, and it damages the liver. Um, TPN, there's been advances made, and so it's not as damaging, and, and they're very conservative on, you know, we watch her lab work. and So I'm hoping she may be able to just, live um and just live out by being fed via the tpn she goes to school every day she you know has friends she has sleepovers she's a typical little 10 year old yeah just at night she hooks up to a little pump and an iv and it just infuses while she sleeps 
or she may she may need a transplant. It's my hope, though, by the time she's you know middle aged, and if she does need a transplant, technology will have advanced so much better than it is now. Right, know? and and how neat is it in the sense that she at least has you. Um, for that emotional support, someone that can relate to her in a way yeah. that no one else can. That has to exactly. be a big blessing. I, I I hope so. I hope I'm a blessing to her because I can tell her, you know, Hannah, I've been through this. Yes, it's hard. Or yes, this is going to hurt, but you can do this. Yeah. Part of my whole mindset when I did go through this transplant was I'm not just doing this for me. Um, I would rather do this and have the doctors learn on me because who knows, in 30 years, it might be my child that now I'm the caregiver and she's yeah. the one needing those five organs. And so I would rather pioneer and let them learn. So there's a lot of weight. This transplant just didn't save my life, but also I knew, okay, I am pioneering for my daughter and for my child. Yeah, absolutely. You are one of the strongest people I've ever met. Like I can't I can't believe what you've gone through and you stand here today with such positivity and oh. just this message of encouragement and courage and and you can get through anything. What message do you want to give to people through your experience? Oh, thank you so much. You're so sweet. I think the message and you know, I don't know if I even knew this message I think I learned it slowly throughout my life. And then when I had to face transplant, I learned, okay, I can do hard things. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah, this is the impossible. Five organs. I remember um, my medical insurance company said, hey, we're not going to pay for this. And I remember saying, hey, this is not an optional surgery. They said they weren't going to pay for it. They were not. I said, I said, this is not an elective. And I said, um, so you're telling me, no, you're not going to cover it? I said, that's fine. I said, how do I get this covered? So I think I came from grit and my mom taught me, you know, you need to, to take action. You need to be creative and maybe the odds are stacked against you. Or maybe you think, hey, I can't do this. I can't get through this hard thing. But you rely on God and then you believe where there's a will, there's a way. And if people tell you no, but you need that answer to be yes, you just keep on marching keep forward. Keep fighting, keep fighting. Yes. Yeah. I know that you're working on a book. Tell me a little bit about that. I am. I'm writing a book and it kind of shares a little bit of my story, but also um, it's not really a memoir. I want it to be more of like a declaration and a message. Like I said, people... I think in life today, there's a lot of doom and gloom and negativity and people have to go through hard things. And I want this book to be a message that you can do hard things. You have to have courage. I think you have to believe. And I say, believe, not belief. I think belief, B-E-L-I-E-F. Yes, I have a belief in God. Yes, I have a belief in this or that. But I think to truly believe, B-E-L-I-E-V-E, requires action. Yeah. To believe, um, you have to take that step. I had to take those two steps 
to from the wheelchair to the operating table, even though I was deathly afraid. Yeah. I had to believe, okay, this insurance company is not going to pay for this multi-million dollar transplant. I will find a way. I had, obviously, I believe in higher power and believe in God and miracles. I had to believe that there's a lot of good people out there and there's a lot of support. And um, I had an amazing gal that worked for a different insurance company that ended up helping me and just coordinating things. And I, I don't think I could have got through all the insurance hiccups and paperwork and all those, that red tape is a whole other ball of wax. Yeah. You have to practically, you know, speak another language and be an expert when you're an insurance biller. And she was amazing. And, and I always, you know, tell people, you know, every fighter in the ring, they have a coach in the corner and this woman, Kathleen, was my coach and just rooting me on. My husband was my coach in that corner. God was the master coach yes. in the corner. Yes, absolutely. So, um, any details on your book? Do you know when it's going to be released, or any, or where are you at in that process? I'm in the very beginning stages. Okay. I'm still writing the book, and okay. then um, I'll probably self-publish, but. It's probably going to be about nine months to yeah. a year out. So, if people want to follow your journey, do you have an online presence where people can find you? I do. I do. Um, they can come to melindacoaching.com. That's my website. Um, I actually now, because of my journey, um, I, I've kind of found a new calling and I coach, I life coach individuals and groups and I especially love helping people whether they have cancer whether they're facing a kidney transplant or some kind of medical crisis or it doesn't even have to be a medical crisis uh, you know yeah. I coached some new business owners that were just facing challenges of starting their own business I love coaching people and, and sharing hey yeah there's going to be challenges but this is how I did it, and let me help you. Let me be the coach in your corner now. It's my turn, and I feel like it's my turn to pay it forward, not only only to honor my donor, but it's kind of my calling now. I feel like coaching, I do speaking. Um, I'm going to be starting a podcast um, shortly. Yeah. My, my partner, she's amazing. She's a warrior mama. She's had a daughter that beat cancer, and... So the two of us are kind of medical, two medical peas in a pod. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I love that you're paying it forward. I love your message of just taking those steps, that action. I think even if we just see it as, as the little baby steps, because sometimes we get so overwhelmed with the big picture and the yeah. massive undertaking of what we have to accomplish in that hard trial, that it's just taking those little steps towards whatever needs to be exactly. done. Exactly. And and then not being afraid to ask for help and to rally that village around you and and let you, yes. you know, have them. I think so many times we're afraid to ask for help or we feel yeah. like we we can't. We've got to do it all ourselves. Isn't and that crazy? Um, I was just speaking to a group and talking about how we wear masks. And yep. as women, we wear, we wear a mask that, oh, I can do it all. I've got it all together. Everything's perfect. Yes. Rainbows and butterflies. And, and inside you're like, I am just hanging on by a thread. And I'm dying juggling. here, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And sometimes, I'm so glad you brought that up. It's one step at a time, one day at a time. Uh, 
to prepare for this transplant. It took me a year and a half, and I every day was a different battle. Maybe one day it was just getting to the hospital to get blood work and get it sent off to the transplant center. Or maybe one day it was fighting with the insurance company, um, you know, to get things paid for. And so it took me a year and a half of preparation. I knew I needed the transplant of just logistics. And, okay, now when I'm gone, where will I live? Who will take care of my kids? Okay, how am I going to get this um, paid for? You know, what doctors? Because I don't have a team. The transplant team kind of surrogate and took care of me while I was out there living with my aunt waiting. You know, but, like, I didn't even know where I was going to live when I went out to get the initial hospital workup, and they said, well, one of the requirements is you have to live within four hours in our <gasps> medical center. And I You're said, I don't know a soul. And I said, well, I have an aunt somewhere in Kentucky. And the, the transplant surgeon said, what's the name of the town? And he Googled it, and he said, okay, that's four and a half hours away. Close enough? And he handed me the phone. He said, get on the <laughs> phone and call. So... It was a lot of logistics and one step at a time, but it was also a lot of God's hand, just little miracles right and left. I mean, and of course my aunt was like, sure, move in. I mean, I was like, okay. But a lot of things I didn't have planned out. I didn't know how I was going to accomplish that. Um, And God lined things up and things fell into place, the right thing at the right time, you know, yeah. the right step just kind of wove its way. And I, I think even if maybe you aren't Christian or maybe you don't believe in God, I think if you believe that there is a greater good working for good in your life, that is half the battle right there is your mindset. Yeah. You know, life's going to be hard, but there's good in the world and there's a greater good and just one step at a time and you can do this. You can be an example of what's possible. Absolutely. Even even the most impossible of goals. I mean, if I work in transplant, when I first heard that, I thought, that's impossible. It's mind-blowing. Yeah, it doesn't even seem possible, but yeah. you're proof that it is. One thing that I do want to acknowledge before we finish up here, but your incredible donor, did you get to know anything about that person? My donor, um, his name is Michael, and I have not met his mother, but I remember um, after transplant, you're able to exchange letters back and forth, and then if if both parties agree, you can um, kind of release more personal information, like your last name, where you live, your phone number. And so this woman, she's amazing. Her son, Michael... Gave me five organs. Um, Each of his kidneys helped two other people. I think one person can donate. When they donate organs, so everybody, this is my public service announcement. Be an organ donor. You can save eight lives. One person. Wow. And this woman, her son, um, I was able to eventually, we connected on the phone. We've called. We email. We Facebook. Um, I haven't met her in person. That is my goal next year. Every year I go out for a checkup to Indiana. And um, he, she lives in a neighboring state. And so our goal is to meet up the next time I go out for my, my yeah. checkups. Yeah. And when I see her, I would just hug her and just tell her thank you. Because 
she didn't just give me my life. She gave my kids their mama back, you know? It's huge. From just one mother to another, how how can you thank someone for that? Yeah, pretty incredible. It is truly incredible. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much, Melinda, for being willing to share your story today and your words of encouragement. And I'm just so glad that things worked out the way they did for you and that you can go on to be the incredible woman and mother that you are today. Thank you so much for having me. It has been a pleasure being here. It's been a joy talking to you. I always learn so much when I go to various podcasts. Or So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining this edition of Not The Way I Planned. If you liked what you heard, you can find more at notthewayiplanned.com as well as Not The Way I Planned on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.